are in part two of our Empowered Church series, walking through the book of Acts line by line. I entitled today's message, Waiting for Power. And I'm gonna be consistently reminding you throughout the year, 2023, you're a power. And so we gotta keep asking ourselves, what do you mean by power? Why is that a thing for you? What I'm talking about is supernatural strength and ability. In other words, it's how God gets stuff done and how he empowers us to get stuff done. We got a lot of stuff we need to do, amen? Because he wants to do a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm talking about power to impact, power to heal, power to set free, power to restore, power to prophesy, power to minister. And you know what? We get to talk about some things that you would consider mundane, power to administrate, power to lead, right? We could talk about all that. If you truly understood the power of the Holy Spirit, you would think, wow, I need power from the Lord for anything that's over my head. Let me give you an example, parenting, right? Like how in the world do you know how to raise your individually designed child? How in the world are you supposed to know what they need when they need it? I would suggest all of us that have an opportunity to be parents, we should be praying, Lord, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to raise my children. I just need to understand what are you doing, Lord? I can't do this on my own, right? I know I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do a whole bunch of stuff. Do you realize that because of my job, I'm always living over my head? I, have to, I keep running into scenarios I cannot solve. I'll be in a meet and greet and someone will say, Pastor, I need help with a demonic issue. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, we're in trouble, right? I got, I, you know, somebody will come in and they'll go, hey, I need counsel on this. I don't have enough wisdom for everybody. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, we're in trouble. I'm gonna suggest to you, if you want a fascinating Christianity, I want you to live over your head. I want you to live on the front lines. I want you to live in a place where if God doesn't show up, you're in trouble. Because it's only in that environment do you appreciate and know you need the power of God. If we're living only for earthly stuff, why would God give you more power? To do what? It's only when you're doing his stuff, it's only when you're doing stuff that's over your head that you need the power from God. So I'm just gonna encourage you, live into the fascinating. Live into where God goes, hey, I want you to do that. And you're like, well, that's kind of risky. I'm not sure I wanna, I might look like an idiot. He's like, yeah, I know. He said, let me just stop you right there. You already look like an idiot. Let's do it anyway, right? You know, amen? Okay, praise God. All right, now, it's power is the supernatural part of our reality that allows us to do what Jesus wants us to do. If you are really good with your Bible and able to kind of get places quickly, I'm gonna have you turn with me to two passages. If you're newer to this, then I'm just gonna say, meet us at Acts. We're gonna get to Acts in a little bit. Go back to the table of contents, find it, and then we'll meet you there. It's gonna be page 909 and the Bible's under the seat in front of you. But you could just listen to me read these. For the rest of you that don't trust me, by all means, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. See, Paul has a couple times that he kicks back and says, how do I feel about my ministry? How has it gone? One time, I'm going to read a little earlier in his ministry. One time is kind of towards the tail end of his ministry. And what I want you to do as I read this is think could I say these words about my life? You go, well, I'm not the Apostle Paul. Hold on, hold on. 
You have the same Holy Spirit that he does. You have the same callings that he does, which is to walk for Jesus. You have the same presence of Christ in your life. So I'm not quite sure there's as big of a separation between you and the Apostle Paul as you think. He was a regular guy empowered by an extraordinary God. That's you too, yeah? Regular folks empowered by extraordinary God. All right, listen to what he says. This is pretty crazy. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does that mean? I didn't want to get in the weeds. I didn't want to get all freaked out in details. I wanted to keep it basic. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Interesting how he describes himself because everybody else saw him as kind of like a bulldog. Like, oh man, he had hardcore stuff and he had to push through. And he was pretty terrified on a lot of stuff. That should encourage you, right? Because maybe you're going, man, I always feel like I'm, I'm nervous about stuff. So are the rest of us. But we keep pressing into the Lord, right? But then here's the big part, verse four. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Whoa. I want to talk for a moment about social media platforms, okay? Let's take any of them. Uh, Twitter, TikTok, right? Let's take YouTube. Let's take uh, Instagram. Let's take Facebook. And it goes on and on and on. You know what you're going to find on every one of those platforms? A million opinions, Is that not true? Isn't it kind of a place to gather opinions about things? So let me ask you this. You just read what I read. Are you a Christian that merely believes that your opinion about Jesus is gonna be more captivating than all the opinions around you? Are you relying on your ability to be winsome? Are you relying on your ability to have better answers than everybody else? Or are you able to say what Paul said, which was, I may not be able to out-talk you, but I have the power of God? Because I'll tell you what those platforms don't have a lot of, and that is Holy Spirit power. You understand what I'm talking about? That should be a difference where people are going, listen, you're not really good at talking, but I think you're legit, (laughs) right? Because I see something powerful in you. I think that's a little more important. All right, here's a second passage. Turn with me to Romans 15, 17. Romans 15, 17. He says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, which by the way, that would be so awesome to say. You're at the end of your life and you're like, I feel good about how I live for the Lord. You're like, could we ever do that? Well, I'm gonna tell you, if you wanna end there, you better set your trajectory now, right? Because if you don't aim for anything, you're not gonna hit anything. You wanna be able to say at the end, God, results were never on me. I never control results but I lived for you and I did what you asked me to do. Does that make sense? That's how we gotta live. So he did that. So he says, verse 18, for I will venture, or I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed. Here's the key, verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What was his point? Ministry 
ain't done. Gospel ain't done till power of Holy Spirit has rolled. So I don't know if you're ultimately going to buy into everything I'm about to share with you or what I'm gonna share this year or the year of power, but you need to answer the question, are you walking in the power of God? Because whatever that means to you, be there. Whatever empowerment you believe God is going to give you to live today, I want you to lean into that. Whatever you think anointing is, you lean into that. Why? Because we need it to get Jesus-sized stuff done. Amen? Amen. I'm never talking about human power. Human power is, is beautiful. It's just limited. Human power means what God already gave us, because all power comes from God, right? What he gave us to operate in this universal reality. That's human power. And it's pretty amazing. You guys remember the story of the Tower of Babel? right? God's like, man, when those people get together and they get their ingenuity going, right? Man, they create weird, crazy stuff, man. We got to get in there and stop this, man. They're all kinds of, they're going to wreck their world, right? We can do incredible things, but it's only earthly things. When you start living into the supernatural, you need supernatural power. I'm not talking about human power. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't think any of you have quoted the book of Zechariah this morning, have you? Anybody? No? Was that on your? No, probably not. Okay. Well, I got one that I, you're probably going to go, I didn't even know that was a book, right? But I bet you, you know, one of the verses, it comes out of chapter four, verse six, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. What he's saying is not by human strength, but by the power of God, are we going to do the important stuff? Yeah. All right, so all legit power comes from God. We can't force it. We can't manipulate it. We can't fake it. It's all him or nothing, and we desperately need it. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. All true power comes from God. All true power comes from God. All right? Now, if you're brand new with us, um, we are in a 40-part series. We're only in part two, so if you came last week, that is 100% attendance. I'm so proud of you, right? Like, like, you're already nailing it. You got an A plus, right? If you missed last week, that's only 50%. That means that it's failing. Okay, here we go. Let's not focus on that part, yeah? Uh, we started this, this book of Acts, and ultimately we found out that the guy that wrote it, Luke, wrote two volumes. Hey, this is everything Jesus did, and then he handed it off to his followers, and boom, this is what they did. That's volume two, the book of Acts. It covers the first 30 years of the infancy of Christianity. A little kind of a history book, right? But what's so beautiful about it is it kind of gives you an indicator, a vision, a spark of what the church can be to be the body of Christ, right? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? It means he's the head making decisions and then we do the cool stuff for him. That's kind of how it works. Some of you already have vision in your mind of what it could be like to be on fire for Jesus. Some of you need a little bit of help and encouragement where you went, I didn't even know I could do that, right? That's the book of Acts. So we're gonna walk right into it. Let's do this. All right, Acts chapter one, verse one. Hopefully some of y'all were waiting for us, right? Acts chapter one, verse one, page 909, and the Bible's under the seat in front of you. I'm reading out of the ESV version. Here we go. Luke says this. In the first book, meaning the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, that's his buddy, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
And he presented himself alive to them after his crucifixion or suffering, showing them many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, let's pause. After Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, he hung out for 40 days. Is that significant? Probably. He then ascends and goes up to the right hand of the Father. In that 40 days, he kept showing up to people to prove he was alive. It says in there he talked about the kingdom. You're like, ooh, what did he talk about? Probably a lot of the stuff he talked about before, but now everyone's paying attention, right? Like everyone's taking notes now. Right, because I'm like, oh, you got back up. Should have paid attention. That was really interesting, right? He now has a captive audience. So instead of what he's talking about, what he needed to do was show up everywhere to different groups and individuals. He showed up to his brother. He showed up to a group of 500. He showed up to the disciples. And he's showing up a lot to go, I got up. That was the key. He's like, all right, that's super, super important. All right, let's kick it to verse four. And while staying with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Because side note, they don't live in southern Israel. They live in northern Israel. They all would have went home. And he's like, hold on, before you guys go back home, hang with me a second. Wait for the promise of the Father. That's the key. What's the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit, okay? Which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, this is where we're going to camp and spend the vast majority of our morning just on this passage alone answering one question. What in the world is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We're going to do what is going to feel like a college-level crash course in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? So this is where your notes are gonna go ballistic, right? Just to try to keep your head in the game. All right, here's what Jesus said. He said, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Awesome. When in Jesus' earthly ministry, did he have conversations telling them that he was gonna send the Holy Spirit? Well, actually, it happened in a rather long conversation recorded in the Gospel of John. When? The Last Supper. Everybody remember the Last Supper? Okay, you all seen the photograph? <laughs> Fantastic, it's a really long table, okay? Super awkward, oddly effeminate men all hanging out, right? And you're like, hmm, you guys all look a little strange, yes? Okay. Obviously, that's totally bogus. They weren't at a table. They were all in a big circle laying on cushions when they were eating, but anyway, whatever. That's how we picture it in our minds. Okay, Last Supper, after he had this weird cryptic conversation with his betrayer, Judas Iscariot, he's like, hey, Judas, you gotta go do what you gotta do. And he's like, all right, I'm out. So he leaves and Jesus has this long conversation. He's telling them all kinds of cool stuff, but part of that, he says, hey guys, you know I'm leaving, right? They're like, oh, I don't like to hear that. He said, hold on, hold on. It's actually better I go away because the Father's gonna send the Holy Spirit and that's good. They're like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, think about all the times I can't physically be with you. The Holy Spirit can be with you all, all the time. And everything I have shared with you, I've told you a lot. They're like, yeah, you totally have. And he's like, I shared a lot with you, but the Holy Spirit's gonna keep 
teaching you and instructing you and helping you understand. So it's not going to stop. He's just like me. You're good. You're okay. Right? Well, he told them all that stuff, and they're like, okay, good, good, good. So now, all of a sudden, we have this weird phrase. It's a brand new phrase, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, what does that even mean? Okay, well, let's start by talking about what baptism is, all right? Make it super simple. Baptism has two definitions. If you're a note taker, write this down. Number one, immersed in, immersed in plunged in. Second one, identified with. Okay? Identified with. Here's what it means. We all know about water baptism. Yeah? We have a bunch of water baptism services here at Bridgeway. What are we doing? Well, we're dunking people. Okay, why? Well, here's the deal. You lower them down into the water as a word picture of what has happened already in their heart, which is what? They were cleansed of their sins. They were dead. That's lowering down into the grave with Jesus. Now you're only going underwater, right? And then what? You lift up with cleansing running off of you as you come alive in Jesus, forgiven and in grace. Yes? That means why do we push people all the way under the water. Do you have to? No, but the word baptize means immerse in. So we're like, hey, if we can, cool. Let's get them more wet, the better, whatever, okay? But the other thing is it says, it means identify with. No one can see your heart. They can only see your actions. How do I know if you're a Christian or not? Well, you have to do something to identify with our group, right? That's one of the things that you are publicly telling everyone, I wanna be known as a Christian, I went public. So that's identifying with the family of God. Immerse, identify. All right, that's baptism. How does that attach to the Holy Spirit? That's weird, right? Okay, the best way to begin this journey is to talk about what happened to Jesus. Do y'all know Jesus got water baptized? Okay, so if you don't, here's the story. There's this super weird guy named John the Baptist, right? Now, John the Baptist is a guy, and when I say he's weird, like the Bible calls him weird, okay? He wears like funky clothes. He's all old school. He's, he eats locusts, that's, that's cricket, like in wild honey, right? So he's kind of trippy, right? And he's out there and he's all fiery, right? And he's like, you're all going to hell. You know, he's that kind of guy. And he would baptize people and he was like, what? He's like, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, and you all aren't ready. You need to get your hearts ready, right? And he's kind of fire and brimstone guy, right? So he's like, you're, you're dead in your sins. You need to own up to who you are. You need to prepare your hearts. When the Messiah comes, you need to be ready for him. He's gonna baptize you with fire, right? He's all, whoo right? Everyone's like, dang, dude, calm down, right? Okay, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jesus walks up, and he's like, what's up, right? <laughs> and John the Baptist is like, like, oh my gosh, I think you're the dude, right? And he's like, and Jesus says, well, can you baptize me? He's like, ooh, I'm, I don't think so. I think this is kind of reversed, man. I think like you're supposed to dunk me. I don't really understand. You're the lamb of God. You're sinless. Why are you getting in the water? I'm so confused, right? And Jesus is like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I am fulfilling everything 
that the Father gave to us. And so I'm being the Jew that's going to perfectly do the will of the Father. So I need you to be with me on this one. Because if I do everything right, ultimately when I die for your sins, I'm going to trade my perfect life for your broken one. So can you just be with me? And he's like, okay, yeah, 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 that sounds like a good idea. Okay, so he's going to lower him down the water. But beforehand, Jesus is like, hey, you have a little cricket leg hanging right here. Like it's right, no, it's not in the Bible. Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right, so he lowers him down, right? This is one of the most beautiful passages in scripture that explain the Trinity operating together. The Trinity is who? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right, cool. We got the Son in the water. He's being lowered down and brought back up. When he comes back up, it says, and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, right? Like we have a lot of pictures of birds. He did not come down as a dove, yes? Everyone's like, he was like, coo, coo, coming down. And you're like, wow, you're awfully feathery. It meant he came down in the, in the, in the spirit of a dove, gentle with peace, and he lands on Jesus, the heavens open up and a voice comes down from above. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Who's that? The father. You got the son in the water. You got the Holy Spirit coming down. You got the father up top. You got all three operating in the same environment separately, but united. Okay, that's how we understand this. Now, John the Baptist was always wondering who the Messiah was gonna be. And he had received the prophecy that said, the one in whom the Holy Spirit lands upon and remains, that's the guy. So the whole time he's lowering him, he's like, I sure hope this is the guy, I sure hope this is the guy, right? And he comes up, he's like, yeah, nailed it. Okay, so Jesus, it says, when he came out of the water and the Holy Spirit came upon him, he got lit up with heavenly power. And he, it says, he came out in the power of God the Holy Spirit drove him into the desert. He interacts with the devil in this 40-day process, comes out in the power of the Spirit, kicks off his ministry. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's walking on water. All of that was because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah? You see, a lot of us, we look at Jesus' life and we're like, well, yeah, he's God. Yeah, but do you remember Philippians teaches us that he didn't come down and use his God stuff. He actually handed that over for a time, took on full humanity and said, I'm actually gonna live like you guys live. I'm gonna show you what fully surrendered humanity can look like, aligned with the Father, empowered with the Holy Spirit. He didn't do it in his own power. He just let the Holy Spirit empower him. So everything he did walking through, almost everything he did walking through, was all fueled by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have an example to follow. Cool? All right, now, we have this nailed down, lock that one in. Let's talk about how the Holy Spirit works throughout history, because this is super important. There is the old era and the new era. Old is before the cross, New is after the cross, okay? As a matter of fact, new, if we want to be technical, is after Pentecost, okay, which we're going to talk about next week in detail. But here we go, old school, new school. In the old era, that's the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was super active. 
He would come upon people. He would empower people. He would even go into people, but it was always temporary. That's very important. It was always temporary. So people like Moses, Joshua, David, Samson, the Holy Spirit would come upon them, but it was temporary, and then he would depart. How do we know that? Because it happened with King Saul in a rather dramatic way. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Holy Spirit comes on him because he would come upon kings, priests, prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these guys. The only way they ever had the ability to prophesy like that was the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So he was doing tons, but we realize, wait, 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 wait. The only reason why we see the Holy Spirit coming upon all these people and knowing that he can depart is King Saul had him, lost him. The Holy Spirit went on King David and that crushed King Saul, right? The other reason is David calls it out. He calls it out in the book of Psalms. And this is one that got turned into a song in the 80s. I sang it all the time growing up. You will never hear it sung here. And here's why. It's biblically incorrect. You probably remember this song. It says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Do you know this song? The reason why that is not sung here is because that's not true anymore. That's an old covenant concept. The Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit would leave. That's old school Right? Okay, so let's keep talking about that. Here we go. When we get, and this might blow your mind, the gospels are old school. They're old covenant. They're old testament. You're like, no, 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 no. I looked in the table of contents, and it says New Testament, and then it tells me Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pastor, I'm not sure you're reading the Bible. Okay, yes, I have read it. Here's the point. It's old school because when did I tell you everything changed? The cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That happens when in the Gospels? The end. So everything Jesus was operating in when he was on earth was in an old school context. So some of the stuff that you read him do and say, you're like, wow, it sounds a little bit Old Testament-y. Of course it is. He's carrying that on, fulfills it, locks it down and kicks a new one up and steps out. Okay, so you'll see the same phrases used in the Gospels. John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit came upon him from the womb, right? And he could have departed. He chose not to, right? But Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit in order to have Jesus. You see that John the Baptist's mom was, had the Holy Spirit fall upon her. And then all of a sudden his dad has the Holy Spirit fall upon him. You keep hearing this phrase, fall upon, and it sounds very Old Testament, Okay, good, good, good. Now, the new era changed everything because suddenly, after the cross, the Holy Spirit becomes permanent. Why? Because Jesus Christ dealt with a sin issue. See, everything prior to the cross the Holy Spirit was like, listen, bro, I can be all over you. I can be kind of up in you. I can do a bunch of stuff, but I can't live there. You aren't prepared. Your spirit is still full of garbage. 
But when Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, he gave the opportunity for that to be fully cleansed, fully open, and the Holy Spirit says, now I can live in that. And he permanently indwells believers today. His presence will be with you as a Christian forever. How do we know all that stuff? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, write that down. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are a walking temple permanently as a Christian. The Holy Spirit is in you. But this is an important point. The presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit can be separated. Jesus got a combo pack. Not everybody got a combo pack, right? Some of them got authority, they got presence, but they didn't get power all at the same time. That was separated. How do we know that? Because when Jesus rises from the dead, he's hanging out with his disciples in the upper room, and he's like, hey guys, I still need you to do some stuff right now. I got something planned for you that's pretty special, but you got some stuff I need you to do right now. So I need you lit up with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and he breathed on them. Do you remember this? And he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. It was in that moment they received the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Notice he didn't do that with Judas. He was already gone by that time. He did it with the rest of the apostles. Received the Holy Spirit. But then he says what? The next thing? But wait, because I'm gonna bring more power in a moment. Presence, power were separated. All right, cool. Lock that one in your heart. Now, this is where we step into the book of Acts. Now, we're going to be doing this all year long, so we'll dive into each one of these stories in detail, but I'm going to give you a summary or a survey of it to make my point. And here's what I want you to write down Baptism of the Spirit usually means the kickoff of a new ministry. The baptism of the Holy Spirit usually means the kickoff of a new ministry, specifically in the book of Acts. Why? Because you're going to see the book of Acts roll out four major groups getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Four major groups baptized. Tons of people get saved, individuals get saved, but there's four main groups and they're all very important. I want you to write these down. Number one, write down Jews. Jews, it all begins with the Jews, why? Because God said, through my people, all nations on earth will be blessed. It always goes Jews first, then everybody else. The Jews are the chosen people, they're precious, okay? So, he starts with the Jews. The 120 people that are gonna be in our story, they're all Jews. The disciples were all Jews, the women were all Jews, everybody was Jews at that time. So he begins with believing Israel, okay? They need their special empowerment to kick off the church. What is their event called? Pentecost. Chapter two, 
Pentecost hits. Y'all remember this story? They're all in a room praying, unified together, and all of a sudden the sound like mighty rushing wind comes into the building, draws a crowd from outside, tongues of fire, little flames show up on everybody's heads. They get hit by the power of the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in languages they do not know, called speaking in tongues. They spill out of the building. There's a crowd waiting for them. They're hearing them praising God in all these different languages. People are tripping out. They have this big revival. 3,000 people get saved. That's Pentecost. Next week, we go into that one in detail. Okay? That's a crazy one. It's a big deal. But here's something important that you need to know. Two chapters later, short time following, we have another famous story about Peter and John going to the temple one day. There's this guy that's crippled. Do you guys remember this? And he's like, hey, do you guys got any cash? And they're like, mm, no. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what? Rise up and walk. Boom, the guy explodes up and he's walking and leaping and praising God. You know this story. Here's what's interesting about it. Peter then speaks to the authorities. It says, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, now here's what's crazy. They end up getting busted by the authorities and they, have, they get imprisoned and they get released. That night, this passage happens. Acts 4, it says, when they had prayed, because they're all tripping out by being uh, attacked by the authorities. When they had prayed about it, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Wait, 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 hold on. Didn't we just do this a couple days ago? That's weird. What do you mean they were all filled? Wasn't Peter just filled like earlier that morning? Didn't he already have it? So that's like multiple fillings. And that's the point. There are multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit for power. Why? Because y'all are leaky. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I saw some leakage on the way into church today. I feel like I stepped in it and I, uh, that was awkward. Okay. When we're walking out throughout the world, the anointing dissipates. And the Holy Spirit says, you know what? I charged you up for a job. And so when we got more jobs to do, I got to come in and I'm going to hit you again. Here we go. Right? Multiple fillings. All right. Write down second group. Samaritans. Samaritans. What are they? They're half Jews. You're like, I didn't know there was half Jews. Like what? The bottom half or the top half? Right? Okay. We're not in Middle Earth, you guys. Right? That ha they, these are mixed blood Jews. Samaritans hated Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. You guys know that in the story of the Good Samaritan. So who are they? They're the other mixed group in the rest of Israel. So the Jews got their light up and start, but now we need the Samaritans. Well, interestingly, they had a big revival. They're all believing in Jesus Christ and all the Jews are super skeptical. They're like, mm, I don't think so. So they sent Acts 8, 12, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's really, really weird. 
they got saved but didn't get the combo pack. It was delayed. Why? Because this is very interesting. Notice there's no mention of tongues. However, one of the people there said they saw them receive the Holy Spirit. So some manifestation occurred. I'm not quite sure what it was. Could have been tongues, it just didn't say it, right? Okay, so here's the key question. Why didn't they get the combo pack? I believe there's one reason, and this is my view. This is what I'm teaching. It's not maybe gospel fact. It's just been well-researched, okay? Here's my view. Unity. Here's the deal. If the Samaritans would have had a Holy Spirit experience without the Jews, the Jews would never call them legit. So what did God do? He delayed it and said, hey, Peter, John, come here for a second. And they're like, what? And he's like, I need you to go pray over the Samaritans. They're like, we don't like Samaritans. He's like, I know. That's kind of the point. They pray over them. Wham! Holy Spirit hits. And they're like, oh, dear. They're in two. And now we have one church, not two. Y'all tracking? Okay, here we go. Write down group number three. Group number three are Gentiles. Those are non-Jews. That's people like us right? Not a lot of us are Jewish, all right? We're the Gentiles. What's interesting about it is now they need to be reached. God sends in Peter. Why? He's the representative of the Jews. He comes in, starts preaching to the Gentiles. While he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They all start speaking in tongues. And he's like, man, this is like spreading like wildfire, right? The Gentiles, we don't normally like them, but oh my goodness, they're in two. Notice each time the Jews are a part of it, right? We still have one church, not three churches. We got one church. But here's what's interesting. Peter didn't lay hands on them. He didn't pray for their baptism. It hit. And you're like, man, it feels like God keeps doing it different. Guess what? Because God keeps doing it different. <laughs> Why does he do it different? Because we are all little freaks about formulas. Have you noticed that when you study the healings of Jesus, he always does them different? Why? Because the minute we see a pattern, we try to duplicate it. And we think it's now a magic word thing. If I pray the right prayer, if I say the right things, God is forced to do what I ask him to do. That is incorrect. God is like, no, no, don't you dare put me in a formula. Don't you put me in a box. I'm always in charge. You want me, then you get me. You don't get my power that you can manipulate and use like some Star Wars thing. You get me. I will tell you when it's legit and I'm gonna tell you when it's not, but you never get to separate it from me. That's very, very important, right? Okay, here's what's interesting. By the way, the Gentiles, they received the Holy Spirit, then they were baptized into Jesus. It's just everything's so mixed up and weird. Last group, right? Write this down. Unbelieving Israel. Unbelieving Israel. This is one of the weirdest stories in the book of Acts. It's in chapter 19. Here's what it says. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. You're like, oh, we like disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, then into what were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That's Jesus. 
on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 of them. Once again, totally different, but what did you notice? This is unbelieving Israel. You go, well, no, 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 they were disciples of John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist's ministry say? The Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. Do you guys know what Jews are still waiting for and saying? The Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. And that's when Peter stopped him and he said, guys, he already showed up. In that moment, you have national Israel who had been waiting for their savior, but they needed to be part of the revival too. And God had, once again, his man, Paul, be with them, lay hands on them, and they got included too. We still only have one church, not four. Very, very important. Okay, so let's conclude this thought. Here's the key part you need to know. There are usually outward signs that accompany a new group being included in the church. Well, that happens in four times in Acts. So you'll see a lot of outward signs. You know what's interesting you don't see? All the individuals and small groups that got added into the church in the book of Acts, there's no mention of tongues, there's no mention of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Did it happen? Well, maybe, but that wasn't the point. The point was each time a group got included, there needed to be something visual for everyone to know they were legit. Cool? What that means is everyone's experience is different, okay? very important to note. All right. The other thing we need to understand, every true Christian, meaning you submitted to Jesus Christ, you automatically get the Holy Spirit in a combo pack. How do we know that? Write down Ephesians 1.13. Ephesians 1.13. In Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is always part of it. Why? You can't get saved without him now. You, if you get Jesus, you always get the presence of the Holy Spirit. There is no second-class Christian group. There's no, well, you don't really have the whole. No, no, no. We all have the Holy Spirit, but remember what I told you? The Holy Spirit and his anointing for purpose and power can be separated. So, there is one baptism, every Christian gets it. Why? It means immersed in, and it means identified with. You only do that, that's when you get that with Jesus. But we need refillings and empowerings to get lit up to go do God-sized stuff. You all tracking with me? Now, this is why this is so personal to me. I grew up in two very charismatic um, denominations. And I started very, very young. So the, the ages I'm going to give you sound a little silly to you, but I started super, super young. I was doing hardcore research at 12, right? So I taught adults at 15. So at 14 years old, I really had a problem with the denomination I was in because I heard them say something. This is not really what they teach. It's what I heard. It's what was told to me, at least I think so. What I heard them say was, 
Well, there are Christians who either have the Holy Spirit or don't have the Holy Spirit. You have to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and every time you do, you'll get the gift of tongues. If you don't get the gift of tongues, you don't have the baptism, and you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, what happened was I went back to my Bible, and I was like, uh, I'm not seeing that, guys. Paul even said not everybody has the gift of tongues. So I'm, I'm telling you, it's contradicting what I'm seeing in Scripture. I left the denomination over this issue. It's as bad as I should, thank you, okay? <laughs> now, unfortunately, I did so under bad information, <laughs> but I appreciate that. I did under bad information because that's not what they taught. That's not actually what they teach today. It's that's what I heard, and I went, that's not right. Actually, what they teach is that there is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit when you receive the anointing empowerment but you don't get to keep the gift. It's not a long-term gift. It's just simply a manifestation. And they were citing it out of Acts. So once again, I'm not gonna argue their theology. I'm telling you, I separated from a family of believers over this issue. So to me, it's very personal, right? And so I had to do a deep dive and I wanted to make it as clear as I could so that for the rest of the book that we're gonna be talking about, we're all on the same page. One baptism, many empowerments, okay? All right, cool, let's keep moving forward. All right, let's pick it up in verse six. This is where everything gets a lot easier. Let's move forward. So when the disciples, this is when Jesus has raised from the dead, he's still here. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Okay, pause. What are they asking and why? Here's the deal. Messianic prophecy says when the Messiah comes, he'll set up a kingdom on earth and Israel's gonna be awesome. So they're Jews and they're like, when is that going to happen, right? Because they're all excited. Like, when do our people get to rock, right? Because we're always getting beat up. When do we get to be the top dog, right? And that we refer to that as the millennial kingdom, okay? The thousand year reign of Christ. I don't wanna get into that, but here's the thing. They knew that Jesus was going to rule there. Well, Jesus is like their best buddy. So I don't know if you remember this story. James and John, the brothers, and their mommy come to Jesus on the side, and they're like, hey, so when it gets all like fiery, right? Like we're all just like, yeah, and you're throwing down. Okay, can we sit on your right and left hand? Do you guys remember this? And the disciples are like, wait, you asked what? Right, I didn't know we were trying to grab that. That's terrible, I should have asked for that. Man, you guys are jerks. And Jesus says to them, guys, I'm not giving out seating assignments, right? That's for my father to handle. That's what they're looking for here. When do we get to be top dog? And he says, you don't get to know that. That's really important because for us, there are some things you're not gonna get to know. There are some of y'all, they can hear my voice and you're like, I'll become a Christian when I get all the answers. I guess you're not gonna become a Christian. Because here's the deal. We're talking about God stuff. It's over your head. It's over my head. We're gonna know a lot, but we're not gonna know everything. At some point, you need to trust him. Yeah? Okay, let's pick it up in verse eight. 
He said, you may not get that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's a filling. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the organization of the book of Acts. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Those are angels. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go. Okay, pause. That's called the ascension. This is a very important doctrine of Christianity. Why? Because a lot of people have got up from the dead. Only one ascended. Lazarus got up from the dead. He's not a Messiah. Lots of people have been raised from the dead. They are not the Messiah. The Messiah not only got himself up from the dead, but then went to be at the right hand of the Father in front of everybody. That's the ascension. We get really excited on Easter. Jesus came back alive. Many churches around the world celebrate 40 days after that is the day of ascension because they're like, lots of people get up, only one ascends. Does that make sense? That's a key doctrine. All right, let's pick it up in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Remember, they don't live here. They're just renting. And who was it? It was the 11 apostles, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Who's the 120? Female disciples, male disciples, Jesus's family. Cool? This is really important for you to note. Why did they have to all be together? You're gonna watch Pentecost hit when they're together. Why did they have to be together? Because every great revival in history has been ruined by infighting. Every move of God is wrecked because I don't like how you did it and you don't like how I did it. I don't like it happened in your church and it happened in the wrong place. It happened in the wrong part of the city. It happened in the wrong group. It happened with the people with the wrong color skin, blah, 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 blah. That's how you ruin a revival. So God will move more likely when you have unity because then he can flow freely, amen? Here's the other interesting thing about this story. Remember there was 12 disciples, 12 apostles. Have you looked at their names? Maybe you didn't track on this, I think this is hilarious. Their names were Simon, Simon, Judas, Judas, James, James. And you're like, guys, just pick another name. This is stupid. Six of you all have the same name as somebody else in only a group of 12. And you're like, well, at least Jesus' brothers are here. Do you know what their names are? Simon, Judas, James, and Joseph. Now we have Simon, 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 Judas, 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 James, James, James. Pick a new name. That's all I'm asking. All right, praise God. Let's close it out. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The company of persons was about 120. He said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of King David concerning Judas Iscariot, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. You'll notice there's a parenthesis in the Bible. An editor puts in a note. 
Now this man, Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, which is field of blood, end parentheses, back to Peter. He said, for it is written in the book of Psalms in two areas, may his camp become desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during the, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in out and among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, who of course had a million names, also called Barsabbas, also called Justice, and then a guy named Matthias. They prayed, said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots or flipped the coin, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay, now we're back to 12. You're like, you could have just said that. I know. But here's what's important about it. Can you imagine the apostles are a big deal? They got to do super cool stuff. Can you imagine being number 13 and 14? You're like alternate juror guys, right? They're like, hey, are you part of the 12? You're like, well, I'm 13. And they're like, oh, okay, do you have anyone important here, right? Okay, so this whole time they were with them the entire ministry and they never got to be part of the team. Then one of them commits suicide and they're like, there's an opening this is awesome, right? Like I could totally get on the team, right? Because I'm the alternate juror. I get to go into the team. Okay, and so then they're like, yeah, we got to pick somebody. Let's flip a coin, right? They're like, ding, right? In there, and they're like waiting. Matthias and Justice is like, dang it. Seriously, I finally get a shot. Now I'm still 13th guy. Ah, what the heck? All right. Here's what's important about that. Do you know why Justice wasn't selected and Matthias was? I'm gonna tell you right now. Anybody have an idea why he was selected and the other one wasn't? Because God had a different assignment. That's it. God had a different assignment for Justice. That was not his assignment to be an apostle. And you know what? That's not any less important. Because here's the truth. Do you know what their assignment was? be beaten, imprisoned, and murdered, and they're all gonna be dead in a few short years. So you wonder whether or not they were both holding their breath going, oh, please don't be me, please don't be me, please be me. Oh, sweet, he gets to die, right? But what's important here is that if God wanted him to be an apostle, he wouldn't have been an apostle, but he had something else. While those guys get murdered, he had a new road to walk, and that was very important or God wouldn't have called him. You guys, stop comparing. Comparison will kill you. You don't have the ministry that somebody else has because you're not supposed to. You're supposed to have yours. You're supposed to have your power. You're supposed to have your experience, amen? Come on. Because the Holy Spirit made you the way he made you and he called you to do what you do and only you can do that. You need to go do that. Last thing to say is simply this. I don't need to flip a coin to know you're called. The Bible says every single one of these believers in this room listening to my voice, every single one of you, you are already called. You got God stuff to do and you need God power to get it done. That's why we're here. Amen?
Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We glorify you. We praise you. You're always right. You always pick it right. You always set it up right. We do not doubt you. So God, be glorified in our midst. Holy Spirit, walk freely among us. We humbly bow before you. We want to get to know you more and more and more. Whatever power we need to get the stuff done you've asked us to do, would you impart that to us right here, right now? We ask for that filling. God, if we're going to use it, would you fill us so we might be able to do the things you've asked us to do, and we will do it all to your glory. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.